While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. That was Matthew's rendition of the first time the Lord served what's called the Lord's Supper or the communion service. Mark also recorded this story, as did Luke. But Paul wrote about it first. Isn't that interesting? He <laughs> comes along later, wasn't one of the original disciples, and the Lord revealed to him information about this. And of course, obviously, in his being discipled, he heard this story as well. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning with verse 23, he says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then Paul writes, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason... Many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. As in, that's Bible language for dying, if you're a believer. For if we would judge ourselves, we would be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. The words there used regarding believers being weak, sickly, going to an early grave, are not words that relate to the word damn, but relate to the word discipline, teaching, chastening. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. And the rest I will set in order when I come. When the Lord instituted the communion meal, it was in the midst of the Passover meal. 
And being Gentiles, not celebrating the Passover once a year, uh, being discipled by Jews, maybe they did, but you know, we want to celebrate the Lord's table more than during Passover. They would have big meals, and um, they would sometimes eat up all the food before everybody had a chance. You ever been in a, a food line, and the guy in front of you just helps himself to three or four helpings so that when you get, get there, there's nothing left for you? Uh, being self-centered. And so there was self-centeredness in this congregation. There was classism, racism, um, hoardingism, whatever they had going on that was hurting their unity. And so the Lord's Supper was being neglected in this because they did it in the midst of their big meals. And Paul said that they were suffering as a result with weakness, sickness, and even death. It's not that the communion elements become poison for partaking of it in an unworthy manner, but there's a certain level of blessing in our lives that are hindered when we do not regard the Lord's table, we don't regard the Lord's body, we don't care for one another. Peter wrote that our prayers are hindered, men, if we do not live with our wives in an understanding manner. So who wants the Lord's blessings to be hindered? True question. Nobody does that. And so the full blessing from communion, I believe, comes when we enjoy one another and we take our times to make sure our hearts are right before the Lord. Now, we've been imputed with righteousness, yes. Jesus became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God, but that does not need, we never need to repent from now on. Those that are preaching that are, in, are false teachers and they need to repent. Lest the Lord call them home early. Anyway, thank God for his mercy, right? The early church had a fear of God that, that in, in our times we don't necessarily have. I mean, when two people lied during the offering, they got taken home early. Ananias and Sapphira, remember that story. Do you think they were saved? I think they were because God chastens his children, right? Unbelievers lie all day long and they're not dropping dead. I mean, if they did, wouldn't be anybody alive in the planet, right? But the Lord chased, judgment begins at the house of God. And so the Lord brought judgment there. And here as well, Paul refers to it. There's a lack of blessing in their midst with weakness and sickness and early death. Speaking to you today on the Lord's Supper, what are we doing? Ask somebody, what are we doing? In 1987, my family, my wife, and our two small children joined what became, four years later, our mother church here. But we were living in Irving, in North Grand Prairie. There is a church called Shady Grove Church. It's now the Grand Prairie campus for Gateway Church. But at the time, that church was known for praise and worship. Songs were coming out of there like you wouldn't believe. Maybe you remember the song, We bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. That song has been a gateway song for churches stuck in traditional music. They were able to sing that and kind of get away from the hymn books. Not that I'm shooting at hymn books. But unknown to the common man is this church had phenomenal communion services. 
The membership would gather every Sunday night for classes, but on the first Sunday of the month, they would have communion. What they would do is have a time of worship and then a, a brief teaching on communion. Then they would distribute the elements, and the congregation would form small groups, five or six people. Imagine this room full of people and us busting up into small groups. Now, I grew up in a preacher's home. We did communion twice a year at least, uh, one time with foot washing, sometimes three times a year. And it was always kind of a formality. Yeah, we got to do this because Jesus said to do it. But there wasn't a level of enjoyment per se until we experienced it at this church in Grand Prairie. It was like um, there was life in the room. Because in these small circles, someone in the circle would, they would introduce themselves to one another. Someone in the circle would bless the bread and give thanks for what the meaning of Christ's body is to us. And then someone would bless the cup, the meaning of the cup, the blood of Christ that has redeemed us. And then they would have prayer for everyone in the circle that needed prayer. And it would go on for like 20 minutes. Just imagine just, just a buzz in the air of people praying for one another. There was life in the room. It was, it was almost like a vibration in the room. I'm not saying it was a feeling. It was just an awareness of the life of Christ being there. And I fell in love with communion. And when we take it, I try to take it together just a little bit different, but my favorite way to do it is in small groups because of what I experienced. When the Lord instituted it, it was in a small group, right? Thirteen men. Did you know Judas was in the room? Yeah. <laughs> the Lord's Supper, what are we doing? There's six things that we're doing. We're communing. Imagine that, communion. In the previous chapter, Paul told this church in chapter 10, 16, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that Christ's body was broken for us. His bones weren't broken, but his, the surface of his skin was certainly broken, right? His heart was certainly broken. His blood vessels were certainly broken. Without and within, wounds and bruises for our transgressions and our iniquities. So that we as a broken people, fragmented, divided, offense-ridden people could be brought together and made one in unity and harmony. Through his brokenness, we receive wholeness, right? And through his punishment, the, through his brokenness, his blood flowed so that our sins could be atoned for. He, this was during Passover, as our Passover lamb gave us a pass. <laughs> the story of the Passover is Israel roots go all the way back to Egypt where the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were enslaved for 400 years. And God raised up a man that had been raised in Pharaoh's court, who was one of their own, Moses, to deliver them from slavery. And through a series of plagues, the hearts of 
the Egyptians were broken, and they allowed them to leave. And the way it happened was a plague of death swept through the land and visited every house. The firstborn child, son in every house died unless they got a pass. And that pass was instituted through the blood of an innocent lamb that was killed in the doorway of the house, and the lamb was eaten that night. But the blood from that lamb was applied to the two doorposts and the lintel. So you had blood in four places, the lintel, the doorpost, and the foot of the door. And when the plague of death came and went across the land, it would pass over that house where the blood was applied. So it wasn't because they were children of Abraham. It was because of the blood of the lamb, because of the life. And, of course, this pointed to Jesus, who is our innocent lamb, would die for us so that the plague of the death of sin could be remedied. We could be paid for through Jesus. And so the Passover meal revealed the Lord's Supper, which reminds us of the gospel, what Jesus did for us. So we are communing, we're enjoying, we're fellowshipping together around the Lord's table, his broken body and his shed blood. What are we doing? We are remembering when he'd given thanks. Verse 24, he broke the bread that he had taken and said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. He didn't say, this is me. He said, do this in remembrance of me. It portrays his body and his blood. You know, in another place in John 10, Jesus said, I am the door. That doesn't mean he's a door, right? But through him is the entry point for eternal life. He, in John 6, he said, eat my flesh and drink my blood if you want to live forever. It wasn't saying that the communion becomes his flesh and blood. So how do we eat his flesh and drink his blood? We believe in him because in another place, numerous places, if you believe in me, you have eternal life. So we are reminded of what we believe when we partake of the Lord's table. He took bread. Luke 22 says it like this. He took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out. For you. So our relationship with God is made available through the blood of Jesus, which was his working a new covenant, not an old covenant, but a new one, where we would not have to slay animals to atone for our sins, but we would be redeemed from sin through the blood of the Lamb, as John the Baptist introduced him, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So this is an awesome covenant that we have been given that God made with God, basically, on the cross. So we're communing, we're remembering, and we are proclaiming. He goes on to say, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. 
I believe in public communion services. I believe in private ones too, but I love to do it publicly so that unbelievers in the crowd can see us practicing our faith that we believe that Jesus died for our sins, his body was broken, his blood was shed, and we remember that and commemorate that because of the covenant that it provided for us. So there's a proclamation. There's a sermon in this. There's a preaching in this that happens. It's a visible witness to what we believe. What are we doing? We are anticipating. We're not just remembering looking back, but we're remembering looking forward. In Matthew 26, this is how he wrote what Jesus said. Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. We saw this dramatized at the beginning of this talk. Then he took the cup and gave thanks, gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day, that day, when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So we're looking forward to that day when we partake of the fruit of the vine with Jesus. No longer will it be just 13 guys, including him, one of whom was the betrayer, but it'll be millions of people. What a glorious day that will be. And when they sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Mark relates it as follows. Truly I say to you, I will drink no more of the fruit of the vine until that day that I drink it new in the kingdom of God. So we are anticipating that day. Now back to talking about Passover. In the traditional communion wheel, four cups of wine are drunk or drank. The first cup is the cup of sanctification, or the Lord separating him to himself. The second cup is the cup of deliverance, or the cup of wrath, speaking of the plagues. And they'll dip their finger, it's, it's served with red wine, they'll dip their finger in the wine, and for each plague, they'll put a drop on a plate at a Passover meal, remembering each of the plagues. So there'll be 10 drops on their plate when they're done. And they'll drink this. The third cup is a cup of redemption. It's believed that this is a cup that the Lord raised. Because he said after supper, after supper, he took the cup. So it could have been the third or the fourth cup. The cup of redemption. As our Redeemer, he held the cup and says, this cup is the New Testament, the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. And so traditionally, it's taught that one day we're going to drink the cup of praise with Jesus. The fourth cup is called the halal, a word for praise. It, what a glorious day that will be. But if you'll notice in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it says they, they sang a hymn and went to the Mount of Olives. So they could have drank the fourth cup. Later, Christ was literally going to drink the cup of the plagues at the cross. Remember, he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, Lord... Uh, take this cup from me if there's another way. All right. What's unknown to most people is in the Passover meal, there's a fifth cup that no one drinks out of on the table 
at an empty seat for Elijah. And at some point during the meal, little kids will go out and get up from the table and open the door and holler, Elijah, 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 looking for the prophet to come and join them in preparation for the coming of the Messiah. It's the, it's the messianic cup. Could it be that it's that fifth cup that no one drinks out of that the Lord is going to drink on that day? Anybody anticipating? We are anticipating. And we are examining. Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. The communion meal is a reminder to slow down and watch what you're doing. Is my life right? Am I following Jesus? Am I holding bitterness in my heart? Am I not letting go of my offenses? Am I bound up with unforgiveness? Am I living in sin and not making any changes? Now, some people who believe that communion becomes poison if any of those things are true, they won't partake of communion because they know things aren't right. Well, I don't think you're really dodging a bullet there. I think the communion raises the issue. Get it right. If you're a child of God, get it right. Yes. So it is honoring to not partake of communion. If, if that's you today, get somewhere to pray when we're having communion together and get it right and then come to me afterward and say, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. I'm going to take a communion. It happens, it happens. But don't think just because, well, I didn't take communion that, that, that God's going to bless you anyway, that your prayers aren't going to be hindered in some way. So the communion meal reminds us we have a covenant with God. He separated us. He's paid a price for us, not to just live however we want, but to follow him and his precepts. Can I get an amen? Here's a video of a young woman doing some examining and contemplating before she partakes of the communion meal. Remembering that I never earned the right to be forgiven, that it was purely a gift that I didn't deserve. I come to the table humbled, acknowledging that the God of the universe cared enough about me to provide for my salvation. I come to the table hungry, ready to feast on the riches of God's promises. I come to the table thirsty, for my soul requires the living water that only Christ can supply. I come to the table ready, sensing that God has something important to say to me as I commune with him. I come to the table boldly, for I am a child of the king, a member of his family, an heir to the riches of his kingdom. I come to the table triumphantly, for Christ has defeated the enemy, conquered the grave, and risen from the dead. I come to the table joyfully, for I am not alone, and I am sharing in this holy moment with my brothers and sisters in 
I come to the table not because of obligation, not because of tradition, not because I'm required to do so. I come to the table because it is a privilege, a precious act of gratitude, an intimate encounter with the living God. I come to the table and here I offer myself, broken, thankful, ready, expectant. I come to the table. And examining ourselves is not focusing on our imperfection, but where is your heart? Why are you refusing to repent in a certain area? Why are you not letting stuff go? That's what the Lord wants you to surrender to him today. The Lord's Supper, what are we doing? We are communing. We're remembering. We're proclaiming. We're anticipating. We're examining. And we are practicing the Christian faith. Let's pray. Father, as we prepare, as we prepare to partake of the Lord's table, I pray, Lord, you prepare our hearts right now in these few moments, Lord. Help us to surrender. Help us to let go of the right to revenge ourselves. Help us to let you be God in those situations where we've been bound up with worry. Help us, Lord, to trust you at every venture. Lord, you know the, root, the roots to our walk. I pray, Lord, you purify the roots of our walk. Cleanse us. Make us like you, Lord, and use a communion service to strengthen our faith as we commune with you and one another, as we remember you with one another, as we proclaim you with each other, as we anticipate you with the congregation, as we examine our hearts, as we practice our faith. I thank you, Lord, that our sins are paid for, not just covered, but removed through your blood. Thank you, Lord, that we're made whole through your brokenness. In Jesus' name, amen. Can I have six volunteers? Come on up. We're going to distribute the elements quickly. Do not partake of them yet until you receive further instruction, please. Thank you so much. The body of Christ was given for you. The blood of Christ was poured out for you. Has everyone been served? If you've been missed, just raise your hand. Okay. Here's the instructions. I want us to form groups of four or five people. Any more than that, uh, it'll take too long. Not, I don't want us to feel rushed. I don't want everyone to participate. So when you form groups of four or five, you can be seated or stand or a mixture of, 
of the two postures. Introduce yourself to each other, and then uh, see who volunteers to bless the bread, give thanks for the bread. And partake of the bread, just take your time. Savor the flavor, not that it's delicious. Unleavened bread is never delicious. The cross wasn't delicious. And then have someone else from the group give thanks and blessing for the cup. Does this church serve wine or grape juice? It depends on how old the grape juice is. <laughs> Fruit of the vine is key word, right? So give thanks for the cup and then partake of the cup. And give thanks for what God has done for us. And then see if anyone in your circle needs prayer about anything. And pray for one another. Can we do that? So right now, let's get out of our seats and let's form groups of four or five. All right? Look around and include people in your group. If you want to stay quiet, you don't have to say anything. But look around. Include, include some people in your group.